Hey, this is Randy Robinson, and I'm the pastor of Everyday Church. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope this podcast encourages you, stretches your faith, and helps lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Let's do it. Last week, we introduced our theme for the year, which is love your neighbor. And we looked specifically at the words of Jesus when he was questioned by the religious leaders of the day. Uh, Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 35. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all of your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So Jesus says all of the law, all of the prophets, all of the do's and the don'ts, the promises that we have, they hang on these two commandments. Everything we do hinges on whether or not we do these two things well. Essentially, our Christianity revolves around these two foundational principles, loving God, with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and loving our neighbor as ourself. And so while loving our neighbor is our theme for this year, we can't start there because we can't bypass number one, which is love God with all of your heart, your soul, and mind. We cannot effectively, properly, and biblically love our neighbor if we do not first love God. And so last week I encouraged us all to do some soul searching. To ask yourself the question, do I really love God? And if we say we do, what evidence is there of, our, of that love in our lives? And I use my relationship with Katie as an example. It's not enough for me to tell her that I love her. There must be accompanying action. It's like the old story where the wife uh, complains that her husband never says, I love you. And the husband's response was, I told you I loved you on the day we got married. If anything changes, I'll let you know. How many of you know that's probably not the way to have a healthy relationship? Love takes work. Love takes intentionality. In the words of the once popular Christian group, DC Talk, love is a... Wow, only two fans. I'm so disappointed with this congregation right now. Love is a verb. In other words, love requires action. Now, we talked a lot about this at the end of the year during the Jesus Above All series. That being a committed follower of Jesus is a complete denial of self, which is what we've been singing about. And we asked the question, is simply believing that Jesus is the Messiah or believing that he is the Son of God, is that enough? And unfortunately, many of us have made a decision to believe in Jesus without making a commitment to follow Jesus. The gospel allows for no such distinction. Biblical belief is more than just mental assent or verbal acknowledgement. Many of us have repeated a prayer or raised our hand or walked forward at the end of a sermon and made a decision to believe, but there was never a commitment to follow. And Jesus never offered such an option. He's looking for more than words of belief. He's looking to see how those words are lived out in our lives. And when we decide to believe in Jesus without making a commitment to follow him, we become what Kyle Eidelman in the book Not a Fan calls nothing more than fans. 
Let's once again look at the words of James, the brother of Jesus. And as we read this, you're going to see the word faith a lot. And some of you will know that the original New Testament or the, the original language that the New Testament was written in, the manuscripts were translated from Greek. And so one of the definitions of this word faith that we're going to read is to believe. So let's read the words of the brother of Jesus, James chapter 2. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith or belief but has no deeds? Can such belief save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith or belief by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith or you have belief, but I have deeds. Show me your faith or your belief without deeds, and I'll show you my belief and my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? And then it says this, you see that his faith or his belief and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. Our faith and or our belief is made complete by our corresponding action. We cannot separate our belief from our commitment, our belief from our action. In the mind of James, these two things could not be separated. And we tend to define belief as the acceptance of something as real or true. But biblical belief is more than just intellectual acceptance or heartfelt acknowledgement. It is a commitment to follow. Following, by definition, requires more than mental assent. It calls for movement. I'm not saying that following is more important than believing. What I'm saying is that the two are firmly connected. They are the heart and lungs of our faith. One cannot live without the other. If you try to separate the message of follow from the message of believe, then belief dies in the process. And our churches will, be, will continue to be full of people merely sitting on the sidelines until we break down this dichotomy between the following and believing. Following is part of believing, but to truly believe is to follow. So Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love God. And we respond by saying, okay, God, I love you. But if there's no corresponding action, then we're simply believing and not following. Because love requires action. Jesus himself said it this way in John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commands. John 14, 21. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Now, back to my relationship with Katie. When we got married... I forfeited the right to be with any other woman. And she forfeited her right to be with another man. Essentially, the single versions of Randy and Katie had to die so that we could now live as husband and wife. Was that a difficult decision? Not for me, it wasn't. <laughs> I definitely got the better end of the deal. And after I tell you this next part, you're probably going to question Katie's judgment to begin with. Dying to single Randy means that I no longer live according to my desires. I don't get to live however I want to. Single Randy would wash his clothes and leave them in the dryer until I needed them. Why would I fold clothes when all I had to do was start the dryer 
and, and have fresh, clean, wrinkle-free clothes just before I left. It just felt like an extra step that was unnecessary. I think I've told this story before, but single Randy didn't have to decorate a Christmas tree because I could just pick up the entire tree and move it to the back room. And then next Christmas, when it was time, I would pick the tree back up, bring it over, and boom, decorating is over. Single Randy didn't have a need for curtains or blinds because my window treatments consisted of blankets and sheets, maybe a towel and some push pins. How many of you know I was living my best life? Single Randy didn't have to put the toilet seat down. But God, he rescued me from single Randy. And now I have, <laughs> amen. And now I have clean folded clothes. I have a clean house. I have curtains and blinds. I get to pick out a live Christmas tree with my family every year. And it's all for the price of putting the toilet seat down. I think it's a good deal. I think it's a good deal. But dying to my old way of life isn't a chore. It's a joy because of my love for Katie. So similarly, when I come to Jesus, or when we come to Jesus, our old way of life has to die. We forfeit the right to live however we want to. Why? Because the old me is dead and I'm now raised to life in Christ. Listen to the words of an ancient letter written to first century believers in Greece somewhere between 50 and 60 AD. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Second Corinthians 5:17. Looking at another familiar verse of scripture, Galatians 2:20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We've talked about this many times before, and we'll talk about it many more times in the future, because what I'm about to say is foundational to our faith and walk with Christ. Paul said that when we come to Jesus, that we are a new creation. That means that's what I've been trying to explain. Part of me died and I was resurrected to new life. He said that everything becomes new. What he's talking about is our spiritual man or our spiritual nature. We are made up of three parts, spirit, soul, and body. We are a spirit. That's the real you. We have a soul. Biblically speaking, the simplest definition of that is our, our mind, our will, and our emotions. Our soul is the seat of our emotions. emotions. And thirdly, we have a body. When I grow up, my pastor called our bodies an earth suit. So we are a spirit. We have a soul. And we live in a body. And so when Paul says all things are new, he's clearly not referring to our physical bodies. Just as your body doesn't instantly become new when you receive Christ, neither does your soul or your mind, your will and emotions. He's referring to our spirit, our spirit man, if you will, becomes new. Our past, our sin, our darkness, all washed away by the blood of Jesus. We become a new creation to use Paul's words. But our soul, our mind, will, and emotion often needs work, a lot of work. And so Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. 
and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He's saying he willingly, he's willingly putting his soul, his mind, his will and emotions on the cross. He's dying to himself, dying to his desires, just as I died to single Randy to become married Randy. I also now have to crucify my soulish, my carnal, my non-spiritual desires and submit them to Jesus and his will. All right, that was a long way around to get to this final part of the message. One of the ways that we crucify our flesh or our selfish desires is by fasting. As we've talked about briefly, we are beginning a 21-day fast. The fast will take us to February 4th, our grand opening and 6th anniversary service. A lot of you have never fasted. And after we made this announcement, we received a lot of questions, so I wanted to share a few thoughts. A lot of people view fasting as something that's reserved for the hardcore believers, the ones who are living in remote places, or those that are so committed to their faith that they've left society behind to focus only on God. Some people view fasting as a tradition that's no longer relevant for us in the 21st century. Some people think of fasting as a trendy way to lose weight. We all get those ads occasionally. Intermittent fasting helped me lose 800 pounds. <laughs> at its core, fasting, this is a quote from Pastor Chris, Chris Hodges, at its core, fasting is a fundamental spiritual discipline for anyone seeking more of God. And so we find ourselves again, if you were here last week, we sang a bunch of songs and in the middle of the message about loving God. And we talked about how easy it is to sing a song and how hard it is to live it out in our lives. And we say, God, I will make room for you. And we sing all of these things. And that wasn't a setup for this point. I'm just saying it's easy for us to sing. We say, oh God, I want more of you. And God says, well, how about you cut this out of your life? And we're like, ah, I, don't, I don't really want you that much. We often quote John 3.30, I said it earlier, we must, he must become greater, I must become less. Fasting is a practical way to actually live that out. The exact total is inconclusive, but it's estimated that the average person sees between 4,000 and 10,000 advertisements per day. Nearly all of those advertisements are enticing our flesh or our carnal man, to use King James language, or our soul, our mind, will, and emotions. Fasting denies the things that our flesh craves, food, alcohol, tobacco, caffeine, entertainment, anything that we use for pleasure or distraction. What fasting does is help us crucify our flesh. It helps us to die to self so that Jesus can live through us. Again, quoting Pastor Chris Hodges, he says it this way. When we suppress those cravings and appetites and force our bodies to yield to our spirits, we create space for drawing closer to God and aligning our hearts with his. And when we're aligned with him, we have full access to his unlimited power through the Holy Spirit, including power to overcome those stubborn, sinful areas that continue to hold us back in our faith. So fasting is definitely an overlooked and often forgotten spiritual discipline. I've already confessed my sin regarding this. For years, I ignored this discipline in my life completely. I want to look again at the words of Matthew, the tax collector turned Jesus follower, as he recounts the words of Jesus himself. Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. 
when you fast, do not look somber, somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces to show that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their full reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, I really only want to point out one thing in this verse. But for the sake of context, Jesus is telling them not to fast for attention. In this verse, in the verses just above, he admonishes them not to pray for attention, but to do that in secret. Essentially, there were people who were fasting just to be seen. They would go into public with their hair disheveled and their clothes messed up. And people would say, hey, man, are you OK? And, oh, yes, I'm OK. I'm fasting. <laughs> in other words, look at me. I'm fasting. I'm so spiritual. I'm, I'm such a man of God. And Jesus says, if you're fasting to be seen, then the applause of men is the only reward you're going to receive. All right, so here's the point that I want to want to bring out of these. It's really three little words. You find them in 16 and 17. Verse 16, Jesus says, when you fast. When you fast. In simple terms, when you usually means something will happen or should be done at a certain time or under certain conditions. The implication is that you're going to fast. For all those who are like me, who have neglected fasting as part of your Christian walk, does it help to know that when Jesus spoke these words, he was speaking them from a position of assuming that we would be fasting. When you fast, when you go home today, that's an assumption that you're going to leave. When you do, when you lay, lay, lay down in your bed tonight, when you, that's an assumption that you are going to lay down. When you go to sleep, you are going to go to sleep. It's an assumption that you are going to do that. When you implies there's an expectation, you're going to do this at some point. Jesus says, when you fast, and yet my life, I've treated as if no thanks. When you fast. So I looked up these words in Greek. Sometimes in our English Bible, there are words that are added to a sentence to help it flow, just to help us understand the context, but not this one. The Greek word is hatan. And you know what it means? It means whenever. So Jesus is saying, whenever you fast, again, the implication is that we will fast. I want to fast forward to some more words from Matthew in chapter 17. A very popular, again, passage of scripture. And I want to point out just a couple of things. Matthew chapter 17, beginning in verse 14, he says, And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely. He often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. And then Jesus answered and said, O oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. And then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? And so Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now these passages have, this passage has so much going on in it that it's hard to focus on one thing, but here's what I want to point out. When I read this, I get almost an exasperated tone from Jesus. 
Then Jesus says, oh, faithless and perverse generation. I mean, you can almost see him just rolling his eyes like, are you serious? How long do I have to deal with this? Bring him here to me. So he lays out two problems when the disciples approach him. He calls them faithless and perverse. Again, quoting from Pastor Chris Hodges, he does a great job of breaking this down. He explains it this way. First, they were faithless, as in not connected to God as a singular power source. See, faith is built through connection with God, spending time with Him and His Word and experience Him fully. Secondly, the word perverse actually means corrupted, as in they had too much of the world in them. And maybe you can relate to that as I can. Often faithless and too much of the world in my life. And so Jesus gives a twofold response to being faithless and perverse. It's prayer and fasting. Because prayer connects us to God. In other words, it increases our faith. And fasting disconnects us from the world and its temptations. Prayer connects us to God. Fasting disconnects us from the world. Fasting allows us to quiet our souls and our, so that our spirits can grow stronger and closer to God. Now let me wrap this up with some practical information. I'm going to give you four types of fast, and then we'll briefly talk about each of them. There is a complete fast, number one. Number two is a selective fast. Number three is a partial fast and number four is a soul fast all right so a complete fast these are these are overly simplified definitions you can google it if you want more information if you're just completely like lost you're like i don't even know what you're talking about there's plenty of information that you can find just with a little bit of research a complete fast is a total fast from solid foods this fast calls for liquids only, typically water, with light juices or broth occasionally. An example of this would be Jesus. Immediately after he was baptized, the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness for 40 days. He fasted. That was a complete fast. A selective fast. This kind of fast involves removing certain elements from your diet. The most prominent example of this would be um, a Daniel fast. Has anybody ever heard of a Daniel fast? Um, I'll read just a little bit from Scripture so we know where this comes from. After Daniel had been taken captive by the Babylonians, the Bible tells us in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Please, verse 12 says, please test your servant for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then later in Daniel 10, verse 3, it says, I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. A lot of people will do what they call a Daniel fast. Usually it's for a period of 10 or 21 days and it's based on this passage of scripture where he initially asked for 10 and then later we see that he went 21 days. I don't know if that was a simultaneous, went from 10 to 21 or if it were multiple times, but that's where they get those numbers. And this is a partial fast, not a complete fast. So it was the elimination of meat for us. It would be the elimination of meat, um, processed foods, sugars, Caffeine, he says, look, just give me vegetables and water. That's what we're going to do. There were all kinds 
There are all kinds of quote unquote Daniel fast approved meals that you can find online. And everyone adds their own rules and their own regulations. And honestly, it can become exhausting. As we tend to do, people have added all kinds of do's and don'ts to this. The simplicity of the Daniel fast is fruits, vegetables, and water, and that's it. Partial fast. For this fast, you might fast for a certain meal of the day, or you might fast all day and then eat dinner. You might fast a certain day of the week. You're going to say, on Wednesdays, I'm going to fast. I'm going to spend the time that I would have been eating or having lunch break. I'll spend that time with the Lord, with prayer, worship, Bible reading, etc. And finally, a soul fast. I think a lot of us, probably all of us need to do this at some point, if not now, eventually. A soul fast deprives your soul, which is your mind, your will, and emotions, of the comforts and pleasures and sorry, preoccupations that usually fill your time and attention. Anything that fits that description can be put aside for your fast. Social media, movies, news, TV shows, secular music, video games, cat videos on TikTok. <laughs> the goal is to move away from life as usual and to move away from your default methods of zoning out and move toward God by using that time again for prayer, Bible reading, worship. Now, sometimes the fast itself can become a distraction. This is what I was talking about earlier. People had so many do's and don'ts and all of the things. People get so legalistic and so obnoxious. Pretty sure I shared this story before, but the first time I ever did a Daniel fast, I was a youth pastor. I'd been at the church all day on Wednesday preparing, getting everything ready. And finally, it was time. And I usually kept my stuff there in case it was a long day. You brush your teeth, you do the whole thing, right? And so I'm coming into the youth room after being at church all day. And one of my youth leaders who wasn't even doing the fa- and I put in a piece of sugar-free gum because I'm about to interact close face-to-face with a bunch of teenagers. And one of my youth leaders says, you know, you can't have gum on the Daniel Fast. <laughs> I was just, I was so annoyed at this obnoxious person who wasn't even participating, who was trying to put all of this legalistic stuff that I couldn't have a piece of gum to freshen my breath. I'm saying, don't put so much on it like that. Don't allow it to become this legalistic, I have to do this, this, and this. Here's what I'm asking us to do. For the next 21 days, Leading up to our six-year anniversary service, would you consider joining Katie and I on a fast? Katie and I have already begun. We're 10 days in. We're doing a selective fast. It's sort of a modified Daniel fast. For me, I'm, I'm fasting processed sugar, soda, meat, and dairy products. In the most simple terms, it's kind of... I don't know if it's vegan or not, but it's kind of a cross between a vegetarian and vegan diet. It's kind of what, where I'm living. Now, part of the reason for those items for me is I'm addicted to them. It's been a huge adjustment. You know, it's not abnormal when you're living a life that's go, 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 that you're just grabbing a soda and you're living off of Coke instead of eating breakfast. Or you grab a couple cookies and a Coke. Or whatever. I mean, we laugh, but we're all probably living, not all, but some of us, that's how we live our lives. And so for me, the reason that I chose these items is because I'm very connected to them. 
And I'll tell you, just practically speaking, day two was very hard and day seven was very hard. I don't know why day seven was hard. Day two was hard because we went to Chick-fil-A and I watched everybody eat that Jesus chicken and that golden brown fried to perfection waffle fries. And they were just eating it and dipping it in all the sauces and just, oh, yum, yum, yum. And I was eating a kale salad. <sighs> Not recommended on day two of the fast. The kale salad was good, by the way, but it was hard to watch my son eat chicken sandwich. He had no sympathy. He's like, oh, dad, this is, so, this is the best chicken I ever had. Oh, this is Dr. Pepper, it just hits just right. <laughs> Let me add a disclaimer here. Some of you might need to seek uh, the advice of medical professionals. See your doctor before you begin a journey like this, especially if you're gonna go multiple weeks or if you have some kind of medical condition that would keep you, like you have to have certain nutrition. Like you need to figure that out between you and your doctor. Don't, don't stop doing something and be like, Pastor Randy said 21 days and then Brent's coming in his ambulance to come and rescue you. Like, I know you don't drive an ambulance. I know, sorry, it's below you. <laughs> You know, we, we said that simultaneously. You couldn't see his lips. And he was like, I don't drive an ambulance. I was like, you don't drive an ambulance. It was just like. <laughs> Jinx, you owe me a Coke. 21 days. Fasting helps us die to ourselves. We just sing about it. You guys were singing thunderously loud. I love it. That's one of the things I love about our church is you, you're singing church, a worshiping church. We sing, I want to be tried by fire. Take whatever you desire. But not my caffeine. Do not, do not take my caffeine. I need that. Take whatever you desire. But not my Coke. Do not take my Coke. Fasting helps us die to ourselves. Prayer connects us to God. Fasting disconnects us from the world. Do you see how simple that is? Prayer connects us to Him. Fasting disconnects us. So a lot of times we're praying and we're going after God and it feels like something's holding us back. And I'm saying that for the next 21 days, maybe what's holding us back is that we're too connected. Let's cut the cord so that we can embrace Him fully. So we're inviting you to join us for the next 21 days in some fashion, whether it be a complete fast. I've done that a time or two, only for a few days. I think the longest I ever did it was three days. Whether it be a partial fast where you're saying, you know what, I can, I can give up breakfast. Now, if you don't eat breakfast, you're like, I'm give up breakfast. That's not, that's not a sacrifice. That's not it. The last time you ate breakfast was two months ago, and you're like, I could give up breakfast, God. I'll do that for you. But maybe you'll say, I'll give up breakfast for the next 21 days. Maybe you'll say it for the next week. And you'll take that 15 minutes or whatever time that is it takes. For me, it's not long at all to grab a Coke and a couple Oreos. But whatever that time was, you just remove that from your life and say, I'm going to give this moment to the Lord. Maybe you'll do lunch. Maybe you do 
breakfast and lunch, as I referred to earlier, and you'll say, you know what, I'm just going to do a, a, a nice dinner. I'm going to skip breakfast and lunch, and I'm going to commit this time to the Lord. A partial fast. You figured that out. Just like when we do offerings and we do things, we don't do pressure here. I'm not here to pressure you. I'm here to encourage you. I'm here to say there's something that keeps us oftentimes, and I think you would probably agree, that there are times in your life you feel like you can't push on past the level that you're at, that something's holding you back. Maybe it's time to cut that thing off temporarily. Maybe it's a soul fast. Maybe you need to take social media off of your phone for 21 days. Maybe you'll commit to do it for three days. Listen, my social media is on and off my phone all the time. It's on for a couple of days and I'm like, what am I doing? And I take it off for five days, then I put it back on. This is an off and on, like on again, off again journey. But I can tell you that the first time that I ever took it off my phone, it took me two or three days to just acclimate to not having it in my hand all the time. And so if you're one of those people, like, you know, the reality is most of us are addicted to our devices. And so it, I'm just saying this in, from a practical perspective. If you decide to do a soul fast in that fashion, there's going to be a couple of days, just like day two was hard for us, not just because we're at Chick-fil-A, but we're coming off of all the caffeine and all of the things that our body is used to and their headaches and all of the stuff that go with that, right? It was a difficult day for us physically. The same thing happens to your soul when you put something aside that you're addicted to for two or three or four days. You're going to be reaching and wanting and all of the things you need to be prepared when you cut those things out that it's going to be difficult for a couple of days. But if you'll fight through, it will become easier. So prayer connects us to God. Fasting disconnects us from the world. Fasting helps us die to ourselves. And when our selfish, na selfish nature is dead, it opens the door for us to be more like Jesus. I don't want anything else. I just want to be more like Jesus. And there are areas in my life that I am not like him at all. It's frustrating at times. But maybe the key is that it's just too connected to things here and I need to cut that off. Andrew Murray says this prayer is reaching out after the unseen. Fasting is letting go of all that is seen and temporary or temporal. Joel chapter 2, beginning in verse 12, says this, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. We're inviting you to participate in this journey with us to see if there are not mere that take place in your life. I don't find it coincidental that we committed to do 30 days, Katie and I together, and we begin to pray specifically for people to come to know the Lord. And within a week's time, two people came to know the Lord. I, I, don't, I don't know, you know, I, mean, I can't actually quantify that or verify that that's exactly what happened. I'm just saying I don't think it's a coincidence. And maybe there are things in your life that you're believing God for and you just can't seem to get over the hump. Maybe it's a nagging addiction that you just can't get over. Always going back to the alcohol, always going back to cigarettes or tobacco, always going back to soda, always going back to whatever. Disconnecting from that and connecting to God may be the thing that breaks it totally in your life. 
join us. 21 days. Do something. Everybody can do something. Maybe you can't do, maybe you don't want to, you're like, I can't. I'm not going to do 21 days. Stop being rebellious, first of all. <laughs> Second, that was a joke. Thank you for laughing. Uh, <clears throat> But secondly, everybody can do something. Over the next 21 days, what can you do? Can you do one meal? But could you fast coffee one morning a week even? Like, I, I, I don't know. We could all do something. Join us as we disconnect from the world and connect to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. On behalf of Pastor Randy and the entire staff at Everyday Church, We'd like to thank you for joining us today. For more information on the church, please visit us at everydaychurch.xyz.